Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, the hair is looking great. We have not much talked about the hair on this podcast, being a medium you listen to, but just want to say, it's looking good. You're growing it out. Thank you. Any any plans any plans to maybe grow it down down the back only to to shear it off so that you can then take on your enemies and avenge your village's destruction? Yeah, you know, probably. Okay, good. Then you'll have some similarities to Conan, the Barbarian. One of the movies we'll be discussing on this week's streaming recommendations episodes. If you're implying that I am Conan, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I too sleep with every woman I've ever met. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna sidestep that for now. Uh, as you know, we like to have some streaming recommendations episodes to break up the blends of the month that we do here on the podcast. If you listened last week, you know that instead of our usual trend, we actually just picked four movies, each representing a different genre that we wanted a chance to discuss here on the podcast. Christian, can you refresh the listeners on what those genres were? You were picking science fiction and western, and I was picking fantasy and horror. So... I can't recall if we discussed this last week, so just give me a refresher on why you picked those genres, because it was your decision to do this, so give a little feedback. Or not feedback, it's your pick. Give a little understanding. Last month was focused on science fiction, and this upcoming month will be focused on one of the genres we're discussing. That that was part of the reason, but also I, I wanted to kind of focus in on pulp. Now... If you've ever seen Pulp Fiction, the reason that's there is because it, it describes the type of it, the well the type of paper that um, very very I don't know horror or uh, romance or kind of adventure things that were considered low art the kind of paper that that type of low art would be printed on. It was considered low art because it was supposed to be art for the masses, not just like highbrow. For some reason, everyone's, you know, like, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. No, this is not that. <laughs> I, and, and also, if you're like, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is racist. Yeah, you know, we can get into that discussion later. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in to Literature Drip, our sister podcast, where we dive into the, the, the great adventures. works of yours. <laughs> But for today, we will be looking at four movies, one of which I gave away with my rather creative introduction to this podcast. But, Christian, we will be starting with science fiction, correct? We will be starting with science fiction. Which means I get to kick off the proceedings here. So, the movie that I chose for science fiction to recommend is 2011's Attack the Block. Attack the Block was Joe Cornish's directorial debut, and it starred John Boyega, Jodie Whittaker, and a large ensemble cast of young British actors, many of whom this was one of their first acting roles. Nick Frost also pops up in a supporting role. He's someone you may recognize from some movies with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright. Attack the Block focuses in on a community in South London, this group of people who live in the block quote-unquote which is what they call the tower that they all live in where their apartments are and it just so happens to be the night of an alien invasion and so john boyega playing moses the leader of this gang crosses paths with jody whitaker's sam as they try to fend off the aliens and survive the night 
So Attack the Block is a movie that had been on my radar for a while. I had heard good things about it. It kind of has cult classic status now that it's 10 years old. Obviously, John Boyega in his first film role here, and he would go on to be in Star Wars, <laughs> speaking of science fiction. So it's a movie that I have been wanting to check out for a while. And I got to say, Christian, I wasn't disappointed. How about you? Did you have any connection to this movie? And what did you think? I had no connection to this movie, but I, I very much enjoyed it. I honestly this was good this this was the kind of uh, of interesting concept science fiction that isn't too big and makes full use of the production that it's got of the premise that it's got it, it's not going for like uh, aliens are attacking the world it's going aliens are attacking one little neighborhood in London <laughs> and, and I, I thought that was a great way to go about it I think it is really cool to focus on that neighborhood, like you said, because we've had a million Aliens Invade the World movies, and focusing on the neighborhood not only gives it some boundaries to work within, and actually this is a low-budgeted movie, but it also gives it a very specific context, and I, I thought that was one cool aspect of Attack the Block, and much was made, I guess, at the time, especially in, in the British press, about how the cast uh, were... All people from London, who some of whom grew up in these neighborhoods, and were mostly speaking what is, the, I guess the academic term is multicultural London English. So, not the posh version of language we get watching shows like The Crown, but just the way that normal people speak on the streets. And so, a very cool, specific cultural context as well. Not just a sci-fi movie, but make it British. Because you've... I Okay, I, I'm going to use this term later on probably you've heard of the term elevated horror correct yeah so um elevated horror for everyone who doesn't know has been attributed to movies like get out or hereditary uh it, it could probably be used for the exorcist rosemary's baby uh movies that even though they're horror they're considered high art for some reason like critics have responded to them in a way that's high art the people can be like, oh, this movie was trying to say something. And and yes, I, I do love Hereditary. I do love Get Out. I love Rosemary's Baby. But it, I think that it also kind of goes against horror that isn't elevated, that can have a smaller scope and actually appeal to a lot of people, which this is. This is that science fiction movie. Well, that, I mean, it's funny that you say that because one thing Attack the Block was praised for and that I picked up on is that there there is actually some commentary going on, which is pretty common with science fiction. Yes, but what I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there can't be commentary. I'm saying that it doesn't fit the premise of high, like this isn't alien it, it, <laughs> right. in terms of production. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is a, like I said, a low-budgeted movie. I think it was eight. 8 million pounds or euro, I'm not sure which, and focused primarily on young actors and was shot in very few locations. So definitely trying to do a lot with a little, and that's what Attack the Block is now known for, launching the careers of some of these people like John Boyega and still managing to fit in, like we said, some, some commentary on the social situation that a lot of these youths face. Obviously, John Boyega and his friends are part of a gang, and they have a connection to a drug dealer, and they have run-ins with the police that add an extra layer of danger to the situation because, of course, not only are they trying to survive the aliens, but they had gotten in trouble earlier that night, and so they're on the run from both. And racial dynamics are in play. And, yes. And, and the 
the white damsel in distress is in play. Yes. And it's, it's very, I mean, I, I recommend it. And I'm actually, I know that there's more to talk about it, but I'm going to move us on to Westerns. And I'll, I'll tell you why in the end. I haven't told you this before. Because I always talk too long and you need to cut me off. <laughs> Honestly, that, sure. That's actually, yeah. I will say, before we move on, Attack the Block is streaming a couple places. I watched it on Hulu, so check it out there. We would both recommend it. Okay, the next one is 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 the worst movie of these four. What? <laughs> so why do you want to talk about westerns then before you make more audacious claims, Christian? <laughs> just just introduce your movie and let the listeners know why you recommended such a boring movie. Oh my gosh, I thought you had something to say because you were talking about how this ties in nicely to westerns, and then you just came out there. <laughs> being mean my pick for a western now is 1952's high noon directed by fred zinneman and starring gary cooper as well as grace kelly in one of her first roles high noon was a semi-controversial movie at the time some of the folks involved were under investigation by HUAC, which, if you're not familiar with your Hollywood history, was essentially the... Yeah, screw you for not knowing Hollywood history. ...government organization investigating Hollywood folks for their ties to the Communist Party. <laughs> scary, scary. And John Wayne famously came out against this movie, saying it shouldn't be made. And, of course, despite that, it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and it won Gary Cooper his only competitive Oscar for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Uh, High Noon, for a quick synopsis, follows Gary Cooper as Marshall Will Kane, who, on the day of his wedding, right before his honeymoon, finds out that a criminal he sent to prison is released and coming back, and this criminal famously said he would essentially come for Will Kane's life if he ever got out of jail. So he has to spend the day, instead of going on his honeymoon, trying to wrangle up a posse so he can stand up against this criminal. And Christian, I'm really disappointed to hear that you didn't like this movie, partially because High Noon is obviously a well-loved American movie, a bunch of Academy Award nominations at the time, often one of those things lumped among best westerns and lists that you read now, but it was also a movie that I liked quite a bit. And, you know, I'm not going to jump up on a hill and say it's the most amazing movie I've ever seen, or even the best western I've ever seen, but I thought it was really effective in what it was trying to do. I do want to hear what because I've been speaking for a little while, I want to hear what didn't work for you. And use the B word a moment ago, so I'll let you speak to that a little oh, bit Oh, it was boring. So here's the thing. High Noon it talks about a sheriff who just got... A marshal. I'm sorry. A marshal. He just got married, and now that he is retiring, like the day that he gets married, finds out that a criminal he put away had been pardoned. And that that criminal was going to be on a train that would arrive at the town at noon coming for him. And it's less than 90 minutes. You would expect a taut thriller, and you would be saddened by by what you get instead. I it has what I love it. What I love that movies don't always have, which is the ticking time bomb. It this movie is probably occurring in real time, honestly, because I think that you only have an from the moment the movie starts, you only have what like an hour and a half until until the guy comes maybe Some, like something like hours. that and this movie is under 90 minutes it is pretty tight in terms of runtime so maybe not second by second real time but essentially playing out real time yeah and what i'm what i'm don't get is that i i'm not really feeling that sense of urgency i don't get that sense of urgency from marshall i don't get it from the people in the town i hate the score because the score 
it, it, it like wants to convey a very dramatic thing. Honestly, we're talking about pulp. This was not pulp. This felt like it was trying to be some kind of high drama instead of a western. The best part of this was the shootout at the end for me. I mean, I'm not going to complain. The ending shootout is really, really good. Really well done. And I don't get that shoot. I don't get the energy behind that shootout. Oh, you know who was also good? Mrs. Ramirez. Yes. We, sh- we should shout out. So there's a large cast here, but Mrs. Ramirez played by Katie Horado, who was a Mexican actress who made her way to Hollywood and appeared in a number of movies around this time. I think she's the first Hispanic actress to be nominated for an Oscar. Really? I believe so. I missed that trivia fact, but we can do some on-air research. But it, anyway, it, uh, that's what I didn't like. Honestly, Westerns were the original adventures. It was weird law and order type stuff. We can look back at it now problematically. But at the time, what they enjoyed about Westerns was like, you have the outlaw, you have the sheriff, you have the weird subversions of expectations in terms of of adventure going on randomly. Like even here, when, when his wife takes the gun. So, and those things are are really not present for the majority of the movie. The adventure, you mean? Yes. No, so the High Noon is not an adventure. And if you have that specific image of a Western coming to mind, it is it's not a, that movie. But it's like a law and order movie, but a boring law and order movie. The reason I don't think it's boring, I mean, there are multiple reasons I think it's boring, but number one, High Noon is also considered the, one of the first among a class of movie called revisionist Westerns. So movies that started coming out in the 50s and the 60s that were looking back on the Westerns of the 30s and 40s, which, like you're saying, Christian, were often these adventure movies that featured a lot of Manifest Destiny, Americans moving out west and dominating the either the, the land or the natives or the lawman standing up against the criminals. And this is a different type of movie. And the reason it got in trouble with the anti-communist measures coming to Hollywood is because a lot of people saw the character of Will Kane as an allegory for a person blacklisted by Hollywood. He's a sheriff who brought law and order to the town. He was generally well-liked, and yet, when this criminal's coming back for him, nobody's going to stand up with him. Not the folks who feel sympathies towards, the, towards the, the criminal who we should say is Frank Miller. So buddies of Frank Miller who still live in the town aren't going to stand with the sheriff. But also the church folk don't stand with the sheriff. And his old deputy marshals don't stand with the sheriff. His friends don't stand with him. Even his own wife is torn about whether she should stand with him. So... It's definitely not an adventure, but it is a movie with a lot on its mind. And kind of like we were talking about with something like Attack the Block, that's why I found it interesting. But I wanted it to choose a lane. I feel like it had a lot on its mind and was also trying to fit the conventions of a Western. With that in mind, we are going to move on. I will say, for me, High Noon is definitely a recommendation, especially if you want to check out some older Hollywood stories. And it's available on Prime. And it is available on Prime. It's taught, not boring. Moving on. (laughs) It's boring. Conan the Barbarian, 1982. That's the one that we're going to be talking about. Conan the Barbarian, directed by John Milius and written by Milius and Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone, who did your beloved Any Given Sunday. I wouldn't call it my beloved Any Given Sunday, but he did many other things that are much more beloved than that. Go on. Anyway, so Conan the Barbarian um, was my pick for fantasy. And I think it was important for me to not do 
I, I did say we wanted a type of high fantasy, but this is almost a subgenre of high fantasy, and it's called sword and sorcery fantasy, because it doesn't deal with, like, world or kingdom-shattering events of magic. No elves or trolls or dwarves to be found. Sword and sorcery is instead, honestly, just one man on an adventure, and magic is used along the way in a world that isn't the world that we inhabit. There are kingdoms, yes, there can be giant magical creatures, but it, it it's not a full-on fantasy production. It's much more so this guy likes to drink, this guy likes to have sex, this guy likes to kill people. It's It's a light fantasy in that you can conceive of this happening on Earth. There are some fantastical elements, but it's not full-blown high fantasy wizards casting tons of fireballs and elves shooting arrows while sliding down giant beasts on their tails. And it's based on Robert E. Howard's Conan, original Conan stories that I think that were their own books and I think appeared on newspapers. And and the beauty behind it was that this was one of the first, again, for the masses stories for young children, probably of the lower class at times, who who wanted to see weird people not necessarily born into high esteem who could go off and do things that they wanted to do. So it's weird. It's it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Let, let's let, also it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I honestly one of my favorite roles by him. I absolutely love who he is here, and it deals with Conan, who's the only. It's not even really a spoiler. It's the setup to the entire movie and the entire series of books. It, it, it's a man who, as a boy, saw his parents being killed by a uh, I don't know an invading empire, and grows up in captivity. That's the premise. And now we see him as he leaves his captivity, as he finds the people who who killed his parents, as he befriends wizards and uh, all the women he meets and sleeps with along the way. <laughs> with their multiple, there are many. Mm, yes. <laughs> this little demon woman also. She's really weird. Anyway, the end. What, what were your takes on Conan? Conan... The Barbarian rules. <laughs> and it's one of those movies that is famous for ruling. Arnold Schwarzenegger's breakthrough role, he had had some some bit parts in a few movies. He was in the Pumping Iron documentary and had some leading roles, but didn't really break through to the mainstream until this movie. But also, I, in terms of, we're talking pulpiness a lot on this episode, and I love pulpy stories. I love fantasy stuff. And so finally checking out Conan was definitely a treat for me. And I was a little surprised because when you hear Conan the Barbarian, you just think, oh, it's Arnold and he's going to chop a bunch of dudes' heads off and there's all the kinds of naked ladies. And that's what the kind of movie that you think of it what to be. What accent is that? The Arnold accent? This, sure. It's just how he talks in all of his movies. <laughs> we need to start doing polls. Did you enjoy Scott's accent no, or not? No, but no. But Paul Gonzalez is forbidden from voting on that poll. Paul Gonzalez is my guy. Shout out to Cinema Drip fan and one-time guest appearance, Paul Gonzalez. But the reason I say it's not what I expected is because this is weirdly a kind of thoughtful movie. <laughs> like, it is. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, of philosophy and... Not a ton of dialogue. It, it's not a lot of wasted words. And Conan is this obviously burly, handsome warrior sent on this quest, but 
it's Arnold Schwarzenegger in this very physical role, not needing to say too much. He's, he's more of a man of action. and It's got James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones, man. He's so good in this movie as the villain, of course, given the terrible name of Thulsa Doom, but still, great performance from him. He's got such luscious locks, <laughs> like almost as good as my hair right now. <laughs> his wig at the beginning of this movie when he takes off his helmet, because of course he's the guy who kills Conan's family. His wig at the, is this... It's so bad. <laughs> it is rough. But all that to it's say, beautiful. this is such an enjoyable movie. And it definitely has its problems, especially in, we've already mentioned a couple times, the way that it treats the female characters. But it is a... It's got like two capable female <laughs> characters. Yes. Not great. But this is a fun adventure movie. This is a great performance from Arnold and James Earl Jones as the villain. With a ton of just committed work from the filmmakers in terms of staging these large set pieces or having practical effects and sets and having some digital effects. This is early 80s and 82, so some digital effects kicking in where they can, but just totally enjoyable movie, and I'm glad we finally watched or I finally watched it. Now I get to recommend it here on the show. Right, right. And and let's move on in a second. We'll move on in a second, but it, it is the type of, if you want to kick back with a beer, this is great honestly it doesn't really it's not the fastest paced movie but it doesn't let up and each turn shows you a new aspect of the world so i love their use of visual effects also i i I really did that kind of um feels like it's just like an added screen that you did on like microsoft word (laughs) yeah i mean there's there's a scene in this movie where a magic spell is being performed and of course the sky goes red and all they did was put a filter over the camera but it's the kind of simple effect that is effective and always has been and it's stuff like this that i miss about the movies when why i enjoy watching things like conan because all of the practical effects are so great and we lose some of that when we rely so heavily on cgi so Definitely a recommendation from both of us on Conan the Barbarian, which is streaming where? It would, well, for me, it was streaming on Showtime, but I believe that you saw it on Peacock. I did watch it on Peacock, quickly becoming a frequently used service here on the Cinema Drip podcast. We talked about Deep Impact a couple weeks back, which is on Peacock right now, and now Conan appearing. Might have to check out Peacock a little more often. When are we going to just break down and get Paramount Plus? That is tough. Uh, I don't know if I ever want to get Paramount Plus. Uh, no offense to the good people at Paramount, but wh- like what's the, even on? I like the Quiet Place Part 2. I think a Quiet Place Part 2 is on it right now. Well, I liked it as well, but what else is on there that would compel me to, to pay for another you, service? You know, other Paramount movies. Par- I mean, Paramount is, is reliable in terms of making movies over the years, but... Alright, the, uh, the final movie, the horror pick was 1997 slasher movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Honestly, I'm going to add teen. Teen slasher movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer. It was directed by Jim Gillespie and written by Kevin Williamson. It's got the 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 boy, honestly. Um, we're big fans of you, Freddie Prince. I am a big fan of you, Freddie Prince Jr. I love you. I hope that you're doing well wherever you are in life. And he, well, I don't know why I'm saying he. This movie revolves around a group of people. Uh, it... on a night on a dark night as they are driving (laughs) on a dark night they 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 accidentally get into an accident and what they do is that they try to cover up that accident even though the guilt of what they did um is haunting them well we can say that they they hit a person with their car (laughs) 
<laughs> it's important that they're trying to cover up hitting this person with their car. <laughs> they hit a person with their car. I was trying to be nice to y'all, but they hit a person with their car. They're trying to cover that up. A year goes by, they're all like overwritten by this guilt, and they start getting these letters. And this letter says, I know what you did last summer. And so they now are trying to see who knew, how did they know, and they suddenly start being hunted by this fisherman who, he doesn't have a hook for a hand, he just holds a hook in his hand. And that is one of the ways that he attacks people. So it's them trying to see how they did it, weren't able to cover up their tracks, who it could be out there, and trying to figure out, you know, how to stay alive. I Know What You Did Last Summer is one of those movies that I had heard of but haven't seen, especially because I have not gotten into horror until later in my in my young life. But it is one that I'm so glad to have watched, and I there's a part of me that definitely feels an affection for slasher movies like this, just because they are formulaic, and the formula when executed well, is so enjoyable, even if you can see what's coming. And I think I Know What You Did Last Summer plays with it a little bit in that you don't always know who's going to live and who's going to die. And that's important for a slasher movie in terms of its unpredictability. And I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I will say, I want to shout out the rest of the cast. We know Freddie Prince Jr. now, but the he, in some ways, takes kind of a back seat for parts of this movie. And the rest of the cast is filled up by Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Ryan Phillippe. So with the foursome of there, also got to say, in terms of, as, as 90s teen movies go, very hot cast. Well done, everybody. Beautiful cast. I think you had to be to be an actor in the 90s who was like, you know, actually six years out of college, but still playing high schoolers. Of course. <laughs> That's still kind of the rule, unfortunately, just to be that kind of person. You still have to be hot. I love the discourse that happens on social media these days where people long for the days of yore when you could have just ugly people as character actors, and they knew they were ugly, and they played that character, dang it. It's one thing I liked about High Noon. You got a cast of real-looking people. I know what you did last summer. Just all these beautiful teenagers running around getting killed. I feel very uncomfortable right now, Scott. That's okay. You make me feel uncomfortable all the time on this podcast, Christian. Fantastic. May the tables turn. So, and and last thing before we move on, this movie is filled with beautiful shots. Honestly, like the shot of the the shot of the fishing village, the shot of like the sun going down at the beginning, the shot of the mountains in the backgrounds whenever they're on a boat, the shots of the killer as he kills. This killer is strong. He can lift people up with the hook that he's holding on to. Anyway, like like he's nothing. There are a couple people who aren't part of the main cast who unfortunately do meet their doom well, in this unfortunately, movie. Unfortunately, it's a movie. <laughs> and they're some of the best kills in the movie, I gotta be honest. You know, that friend sucked. <laughs> now, so, it, it it's a well-shot movie. I recommend it. I'm assuming you recommend it as well. I do. And I was surprised to see that it has a spottier reputation as slasher movies go. And I think part of that is that if you've seen all of the classic slasher movies, this probably just feels pretty derivative of that, not necessarily doing anything new with the formula. But for me, as somebody who hasn't seen a ton of slashers, I totally went for it. And again, not some like masterpiece of a horror movie, but still one that is totally worth watching with friends. It's fun. Make it some popcorn, grabbing a drink, and enjoying it. It's, it is fun. Uh, okay, so we've reached the end of our recommendations. Where is I Know What You Did Last Summer available to stream? Before uh, oh, I forget. that is good. That is a good question. I know what you did last summer. I believe it's on Hulu. That is where I watched it and where you can find it as well, listeners. So, 
So here's why I kind of stopped us from having further discussions on Attack the Block, High Noon, Conan, and Oe last summer. Um, this upcoming month, I'm not going to reveal it just yet, but we are going to be talking about things that have inspired franchises. Now, these aren't franchises the way that we think about MCU and Star Wars. These are franchises where sequels were basically made for the book. They were made to capitalize on the success of something that was relatively low budget and pulpy. I know what you did last summer has two sequels. I still know what you did last summer, and I'll always know what you did last summer. Which I don't even think returns any of the main cast. I no, that it's, one was it's, really it's, just a cash in. Right? Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's a cash in, and now, but we don't always like the cash in. But sometimes we'll be like, "This is a good time. This is entertainment." So, Attack the Block is actually getting a sequel that's coming out soon. Um, Attack the Block 2, I think it might come out next year. I know that it's in development currently. I assume that it was in development, so I'm not sure when it would actually come out. Uh, John Boyega has a little more free time these days, so hopefully soon. (laughs) Okay, yes. Uh, Now, Conan. Conan had a sequel and had a 2011 remake. And even had a spinoff, too. It did have a spinoff. Red Sonja. The only one that... And this is one of the reasons I wasn't a big fan of even discussing High Noon here. High Noon doesn't have a sequel, and it isn't actually made, I think, to cash in on that sequel. Does it have a sequel? High Noon does have a sequel, Christian. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let what me... is the sequel oh, called? Oh, maybe... Okay, here's... here's. I might be off base here. I watched another Western thinking of recommending it, that movie being Magnificent Seven, which had a bunch of sequels. Uh, okay, here you go. High Noon did have a television sequel, High Noon Part 2, The Return of Will Kane, and it came out years later, like in, in 1980, so none of the original cast made an appearance, I don't think, and then there were a few other things inspired by it, but yeah, there you go, TV sequel, trying to cash in. Honestly, kind of love that, so, <laughs> because these genres are ripe for it. The genres mean many different things, and at, at times they are just like you know fiction or nonfiction. At times they are drama or comedy. Here they are what kind of world we're situated in, because if you do something where you need to recreate a law for a world in your head, and we know that it's not the one we inhabit in, we get a little excited to see what it is that they're going to do with it. So. Based on that alone, what we're going to be discussing next month is the horror genre, and it is specifically horrors and their sequels. We've chosen, I have chosen three movies. You have not. Christian gets to curate this month. This is true. I've chosen three movies. Each one of the movies that was chosen had many sequels that came out in the immediate years after the movie came out. However, a decade or maybe even more after that, a new sequel came out as a direct sequel to the original that retconned all the others. Very specific blend of the month here coming up. We we are going to... I, I don't even know what to call it. It's like horror movies and their eventual sequels. That's what I'm going to do it. <laughs> Very succinct blend of the month. Horror movies and their eventual sequels. Horror movies and their eponymous sequels. A blend of the month brought to you by Cinema Drip. And all of these sequels share the same name to an extent. And I found it fascinating that people wanted to retcon all these other sequels because they're like, look, this formula worked before, 
we know it's pulp. We know that no matter the age, people will enjoy pulp. People are still making westerns, and people will go and watch westerns for the shootouts. Horror movies have never left. People want low-budget horror movies that give them a scare. Um, fantasy, people love the supernatural and stuff. And science fiction, I firmly believe that the next thing after comic book movies end, which I do believe will come to an end, and I think that that end is nigh. Uh. <laughs> I, I believe it or not, I do. Will be alien movies. I think that alien movies are going to make a comeback. The Tomorrow War, the <laughs> the standard bearer for the coming wave of alien invasion movies. The Tomorrow War already has a sequel. We have, it does. Um, it does. It has a sequel. It's going to come out. Oh, We've got Avatar two, Avatar three, and Avatar four coming in the next couple, <laughs> and Avatar five coming in the next ten years. Um, we have oh, Dune my. by Denis, well, written and directed by Denis Villeneuve with other co-writers. So anyway, but all that to say, all that to say, we're going to be focusing on horror movies and their eventual sequels and why people thought they could recash in on these IPs. We're going to be starting with 1999's The Blair Witch Project, which spawned, I want to say, um, two or three direct two sequels before the eventual 2016 sequel called Blair Witch. I thought it had, it only had it had two sequels total, because it had Blair Witch 2, The Book of Shadows, which is famously terrible, as horror movie sequels go, and then Blair Witch, which came later. Sure. Am I, I might be... I, I think that's... Oh, we'll go with that. We'll, we'll say the proper amount next week. <laughs> but anyway, Scott, have you ever seen The Blair Witch Project or Blair Witch? So, <laughs> naturally, being a little bit of a scaredy cat growing up and only getting into horror later in life, as I already said, I avoided The Blair Witch Project as a youngin. But I am looking forward to watching it because I know it is. it not only was a cultural phenomenon and I like to become familiar with those movies. Obviously, I would have been four years old when this movie was coming out originally, so would have missed the phenomenon. But I love engaging with stuff after the fact and, and coming into a fandom, even if I'm late to the party. And obviously, The Blair Witch Project is one of the most influential movies of recent memory. And we'll talk about that more next week. But... I'm really looking forward to watching it and the sequel and getting a chance to dive in. And with that, that's basically... I, I mean, I have not seen The Blair Witch Project. I will... I, like, put it on for my students while I FaceTime my friends. What? <laughs> it was the end of the year. Oh, my gosh. I don't even know if it was the end of the year. It might have just been, like, right... The day, it was, like, the day before spring break. <laughs> I was going to check. I really hope my principal doesn't listen to my podcast. The LAUSD superintendent, a regular listener of Cinema Drip, is coming for you, Christian. This is why I'm really happy that you mispronounce my last name every week. <laughs> anyway, so that is... It's embarrassing. What? Listeners know that I'm embarrassed. What are you... Hey, that you mispronounce my last name, sure. Well, uh, you technically don't mispronounce it. You just only pronounce half of my last name. What should I be saying? don't worry so what are your thoughts on the what are your thoughts on the upcoming blend i'm serious i'm really looking forward to this because we get to from what i know check in with some really important horror movies classics of the genre and check out their sequels and from what i know we have one one sequel that is not very well acclaimed not beloved by fans one that is very well loved and one that is 
remains to be seen. So I'm definitely looking forward about checking out this month. A lot of horror movies that are things that I just need to kick in the pants to actually watch. <laughs> and so looking forward to watching them. Looking forward to discussing more in depth all about the genre as we get into September. Not normally a, a horror movie month, but we're not beholden by your rules, Hollywood. September can be a horror month. Also, we this. I mean, we've done two movies at a time before, but we've we've we're doing reviews for two movies every single week. So if you are looking forward to something for, here's the thing: we are, we're we're giving you recommendations for your Halloween month before Halloween. We're getting you prepped and ready, folks. You'll be all ready to go, and you'll have talking points as soon as the movie ends. You can turn to your friends, share the intelligent discussions you heard from the Cinema Drip podcast. You'll be a a king or queen among men. And that being said, that's all I've I've got. I'm done. There you go. Where is Blair Witch, the original Blair Witch Project, streaming for folks who would like to prepare for next week? The original Blair Witch Project and the sequel we're going to be looking at, um, I believe his name is Adam Wintergaard, the 2016 sequel, it's just called Blair Witch, both of which are on Hulu. I think the entire Blair Witch franchise is on Hulu. Perfect. So if you'd like to be a completist and subject yourself to a famously bad horror movie, you can also watch Blair Witch 2 Book of Shadows if you feel so inclined. And as Christian said, that wraps the show. So as a quick reminder, the four movies we recommended here today were Attack the Block, which is available on Hulu, High Noon, which is available on Prime Video, Conan the Barbarian, which is on Peacock and Showtime, and last but not least, we had I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is also on Hulu. No Netflix this week. No Netflix this week. No HBO Max either. No HBO Max. All four of those come recommended by me. High Noon does not come recommended by Christian, but if you'd like to check out an older Hollywood classic, then you can trust me. Then coming up next week, we have The Blair Witch Project and Blair Witch, both of which are available on Hulu. And if you've reached this part of the show, we do thank you for listening to this podcast. Sincerely, it means a lot to know that we're putting these shows out there and people are listening, so thank you for listening. There are a couple things you can do to support the show. Number one, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners there, and of course, we do love to shout out our listener reviews here on the show, so if you leave a review, we'll read it live on air. The other thing that you can do, of course, is subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners as our subscriber base grows. Uh, You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. We love to incorporate listener feedback, not only in sharing it on the show, but also incorporating it into future blends of the month. Paul Gonzalez came up, listener Paul. He offered up Magic May, which happened earlier this year. And now, Christian, he is back with another recommendation for a blend of the month. October is vacant right now because we're focusing on horror in September, and Paul has given us an idea. Based on football month from last year, which of course was beloved to me and not so by you, Paul has suggested that we now look at baseball month. If you take on another sports month, I will do unspeakable things. This is yeah, this is going strange places. But baseball month, obviously, touching with the World Series, which happens every year in October. I will poison you. There are a great number of baseball movies out there that, and Paul shouted out a few like Moneyball or Field of Dreams. So maybe, just maybe, you might see a baseball themed blend of the month coming up in October. Remains to be seen, and I do value my life, and I do value Christian not being arrested for crimes against Scott Lentz, and so... I am Hispanic. They would come after me soon. Oh my gosh. So, uh, we'll see what could happen. We'll see what could happen in October, but Paul, thanks for the email and for the suggestion. 
The last thing that you can do, of course, is follow us on social media, where I and the podcast are on Twitter, and Christian and I are both on Letterboxd, where we are rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. We'd love to have a Cinema Drip person comment on a review for a movie covered on the show. It has not yet happened, and it would make my day if you wanted to. So just throwing that out there. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Yes, check out our friends at the Hollywood Week podcast, because last week... We were featured on their episode. We talked about controversial topics, and many people yelled at me. <laughs> that was a good time, yes. If you know our friends Keenan and Kaysen Culler from the Hollywood Week podcast, they had us on to their show where we talked a bunch of things, including new releases, trailers, movie hot takes, and things that we are excited about and nervous about with movies coming out later this year. Uh, just as a little teaser, Christian what hot take did you share on that podcast that got you in so much hot water? I think that Infinity War might be the worst MCU movie. <laughs> and the hot take that I shared is that people are too harsh on film critics. So if you want to hear those two takes discussed in detail, as well as the Color Brothers takes, then go check out the episode of their show that we recorded and was released last week. Now, Christian actually had a final thought for you. I don't have anything else to end this podcast with, so I will just say, I'm Scott, he's Christian, and this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.